So um, we have been we have been um, uh, reading in the the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the story of Joseph, Joseph the patriarch. There's another Joseph in the Bible, the Joseph we hear about at Christmas time, and this is a different Joseph. This is the Joseph from about a thousand years, maybe fifteen hundred years earlier. Joseph the patriarch. He was one of the first people to um, to walk closely with God, and so we're reading the story of Joseph. And one of the one of the great things about Joseph is he is. He's a success story, right? He's Horatio Alger. He's, he's the guy who was sold into slavery, uh, lived as a slave for years, but wound up as prime minister of the most uh, powerful country in the ancient world. He went all the way to become the first minister under Pharaoh. He was in charge of all of Egypt, and all Pharaoh did was just sit around and you know wave at crowds or whatever. Uh, Joseph was the head of Egypt. He just wasn't legally the, the king. So Joseph went from slave all the way to prime minister of the most powerful country in the world. He's the original rags to riches story. And I think everybody can listen to that and say, man, I'd like a little bit of that in my life. Uh, maybe not the rags part, but the riches definitely. I love the idea of moving up, of, of kind of uh, leaving my, my present circumstances or the parts of my circumstances I don't like and leaving them behind and getting something better in exchange. I think everybody can, can say, yeah, me too. So, um, so that's what we're gonna we're gonna be reading about in, in the story of Joseph, but the problem is that there's no promises uh, that that you will necessarily wind up rich. There are people in the Bible who have a close relationship with God and they get rich. Uh, Joseph is one. Uh, Solomon is famously the richest man who ever lived, and he was fabulously wealthy. And uh, and it was because of his close relationship with God. And yet there are people like Jesus who not only had a close relationship with God, but was God, and he was poor. He lived every day on the handouts of other people. So so um, so there are no promises in the in the scriptures about whether you're going to get rich or not. But we understand the appeal, and there are people who who play to that appeal, and they pitch something called the prosperity gospel. If you're not familiar with the prosperity gospel, it is it is this idea that God rewards certain things from you. That God rewards your faith, or God rewards your your, your right behavior, or God rewards um, your moral rectitude, that you you live an upright life and you never you never do do uh, sins, and because of that God rewards you. And I think the 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 most um, egregious example of the prosperity gospel is the guy on the TV who says who says um, you need to show your faith and then God will reward you financially. And and the way you show your faith is you send your last fifty dollars. There's operators standing by. They'll take your credit card number even if it's maxed out. And uh, don't worry about your kids getting fed because because tomorrow or the next year or very soon. A check will arrive from a stranger in the mail, and the check will be for five thousand dollars. You put fifty dollars in, you get five thousand dollars out, and you know that that happens because there was a guy on the TV show who said it happened to him. So it could happen to you too. God longs to bless you, and so just send your last fifty dollars to the TV evangelist, and God will take care of the rest. That's the that's the extreme form of prosperity gospel, but it takes other other forms too. You know, here in Alaska, we've had. In the news, uh, uh, one of the chaplains up, I think, in Wainwright uh, got in trouble because he said there are no atheists in foxholes. 
um, the, the famous line that, that there are no atheists in foxholes. And I think we all know what that saying means. It's this idea of, I'm in a crisis of some kind, and God, if you will get me out of this crisis, then I'll do something good for you. Okay, I'll repay the favor. And it's kind of like the prosperity gospel, except it's on credit, right? You know, you give me the blessing now, Lord, and I'll pay you back later. So, so it, it's, um, it's a, a, a variation on the, the basic, um, uh, idea of the prosperity gospel. And I think we've all done that. Maybe, maybe you were driving along, you're speeding along and didn't notice your, how fast you were going and until you went past the cop car sitting there. And, and then you look down instantly, you know, the way we do, we look at the, the speedometer and we think, oh boy, I'm in a whole lot of trouble. And then the prayers begin, right? Lord, if you make it so that he wasn't paying attention to the radar, then I'll go to church this Sunday or I'll go to church every Sunday or, or I'll increase my giving or I'll join the committee that I really don't want to be part of, but I will, uh, Lord, just get me out of this jam and I'll pay you back. And I think a lot of us have, have, um, at least entertained, if not, if not, uh, um, lived in that kind of thinking about God. And, and those are all variations of the prosperity gospel. The idea that God will reward you if you have the right kind of faith or if you have the right kind of good deeds or if you have the right kind of morality. And, and they, they sound like the gospel, but the true gospel is different. The true gospel is that God already loves you. That God knows what your faith is like. He knows how small it is or how big it is. He knows that. God knows your good deeds, however few and far between they may be. God knows that. And God knows how morally compromised you are, and God loves you anyway. God knows you and is not going to reward you if you somehow get your act together. God is already ready and able to jump into your life and begin bringing mercy and grace and healing to the broken parts of your life so that you can then be part of the work that God is doing in the world around you. So that's the difference between the prosperity gospel, which says uh, that if you do things, then God will do things in return, versus the true gospel, which says God is already at work in your life. God is already bringing blessing to your life, despite the fact that you're not what God wants you to be. So, so that's the difference, but you can see the similarity. But as long as I talk like this, it's just kind of theory, right? It's just somebody talking about theology. So what I want to do is I want to look at a concrete example, which we find here in the scriptures. We find it in the story of Joseph. Now, if you weren't here last week, where we landed last week was Joseph was taken into slavery. And that was at the end of chapter 37. And uh, then chapter 38 is the story of one of his brothers, uh, Judah. And Judah gets into some trouble of his own, but at least he's not a slave in Egypt. So so um, uh, we're going to skip over the story of Judah and continue where we left off with the story of Joseph. Joseph had just gotten taken into um into uh, slavery. So um, if you follow along, uh, we're going to have the verses on the screen, and um, they're also in your, in your program. So. so uh, Joseph was taken, beginning in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt. And Egypt, to us, Egypt is a place, it's a country. Uh, to the Jews who, who maintained the story for centuries before we ever saw it, Egypt 
has one connotation. It's like if I say George Washington, you say president, or you say revolutionary war, you say hero. Part of our story is we know who George Washington is. Jews know who Egypt is. Egypt is the place of slavery. So Joseph got taken down to the place of slavery. He got taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, a person who lives and is part of the apparatus of the place of slavery. So they repeat that he's an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The writer is making sure we understand Joseph is a slave. So they tell us three times, Egypt, Egyptian, bought. Joseph is a slave. So it's a sad story, and we can feel very bad for Joseph. But wait, there's a happy ending. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man. There we go. Problem solved. That's the prosperity gospel. It stops in verse 2. But the Bible keeps going. Wouldn't it be great if it just stopped there in verse 2? Bad things happen, God's with you, things get better. But that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is the story continues from there. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, so he's still a slave, an Egyptian slave with an Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all he had. So he's he's getting success, but he's just not getting it of any of it himself. It's all going to his master. The success is, is just a, a reason that the master says, this guy's got the Midas touch. I'm going to put in, him in charge of more and more stuff. I'm going to squeeze him as long as he keeps producing. Okay, I've got a really good slave here, so I'm going to squeeze him as much as I can. I'm going to put him in charge of all kinds of things, put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food he ate. So all he's got to do is come home and eat his meals and go back to work. Everything's peachy. For Potiphar, Joseph is still a slave. In fact, Joseph is a slave with more responsibilities than ever. He's going to get an ulcer, and Potiphar is okay with that because God's blessing everything Joseph touches. And I think for a lot of people, that would be success enough. They'd say, all right, I'm I'm okay with that. I think, you know, who are you to judge me? If that's what my criterion of success is, who are you to judge me? And and if you're happy, maybe, maybe I'm nobody to judge you, and I shouldn't. But Joseph's not happy. And we see that beginning um, where we pick up in the next paragraph. Joseph is handsome and good-looking. And I think a lot of people that God's with are, are handsome and good-looking. I know that that's true. But, um, but Joseph is too. And, um, and um, uh, after a time, his master's wife casts her eyes on Joseph. And she says, lie with me. Now, I think... It's it's very interesting the way that the story is told. She does not come up to Joseph and say, Oh, Joseph, you're so handsome and good-looking. And, you know, Potiphar's off. He's off with Pharaoh all the time. They're going, they're traveling. I'm so lonely. You know, if only I had somebody who understood me like you do, Joseph. But that's not what she says. She says, Slave, get in here. Okay? So the point is, Joseph has a problem. He's got a boss who likes him. He's got a slave owner who's very happy with him. And he's got a slave owner's wife 
who's giving him orders he can't obey without getting in trouble with his master. And there's something that's huge here. And they tell me in preaching school, don't go in two directions at once because you don't get anywhere. But I'm, I have to go briefly. I'm going I'm to come back to prosperity gospel. But I have to tell you, you know, one of the things you hear a lot is the Bible supports slavery. And you'll, you'll hear that if you haven't heard it a hundred times, you'll hear it before you die. Uh, people say, people say the Bible's all about, you know, God's okay with slavery and stuff like that. I want you to look at something that happens in the next verse. Because what is the definition of a slave? They've just reminded us, Joseph is a slave, right? The, the, the master's wife comes on to him, not as a person, but as, as, as an object. Slave, get in here. Lie with me, right? And what does Joseph do? He refused. Joseph refuses. Slaves don't get to refuse. Slave, that's the definition of a slave, right? If your boss tells you something, you don't want to do it, you can quit. But if you're a slave, you can't quit. You have to do what your boss tells you. But Joseph refuses. And this is so huge. This is something that is so different. This is, this is something that, that uh, since the time of Joseph, people have struggled to understand. Because for most of history, people would have said, look, that's a private matter between Joseph and his owner. And what happens between them is nobody else's business. And this idea of privacy, the idea that you can have a relationship with somebody that's private, is is a part of all kinds of institutions, the institution of slavery, the institution of the family. The idea that that's private and it's nobody else's affair what goes on in the family is, is a part of all kinds of, of human tragedy. And what we see here is a different thought. We have the idea that the slave gets a voice because God is his father. The slave is not simply a slave. The slave has a heavenly father, and the slave's first loyalty goes to God. And so the slave does get a voice. The slave gets a vote. God sticks his nose into that relationship and says, I'm making it my business what happens in this private relationship. So Joseph says no. And then in case we missed it, he goes on, he says to his master's wife, look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you're his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie with her and to be with her. The slave does not consent. And the Bible upholds that. So if the next, the next time somebody tells you the Bible is, supports the institution of slavery, you can, you can point at this story and say, no, actually it regulates it and actually undermines it. Because the Bible says that there are no private relationships. That as long as your relationship is with someone whose father is in heaven, then God's involved. And you cannot just treat them the way you want. So Joseph refuses the advances of uh, Potiphar's wife. But does that make his problems solved? Does, does that mean now finally he gets the prosperity gospel? He's put enough nickels into the machine that now God's going to give him some blessing out the other side? Well, let's see. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work and when no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. 
But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So he says no yet one more time. He runs away. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, she's about to coach them what happened. She said, see, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. You all heard me crying out with a loud voice. When Potiphar gets home, you be sure and mention that. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment beside her until his master came home and she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and I fled out and fled outside. And of course, the servants know what they're supposed to say. So the, uh, the investigation, however long it goes, is not long. And his master hears the words that his wife spoke to him saying, this is the way your servant treated me. He became enraged. So Joseph has done the good deed for the umpteenth time. Joseph has done the good deed. He's put so many nickels into the God machine that if the prosperity gospel had any meaning at all, he would have earned a blessing to come out the other side of the machine. But that's not what happens. He gets in worse. He's in more trouble than ever. And you see, you see what Potiphar reveals himself to be here. The Potiphar, who should be grateful, he's had this slave who's blessed him as no slave has ever blessed him before. He should be grateful. But we see for Potiphar, gratitude is worth its weight in gold. He throws Joseph in jail. And in fact, there's an indication, we have to kind of read between the lines here, but there's an indication Potiphar doesn't even believe his wife's story. Because in that culture, from what we know from history, um, uh, the, the penalty in Egypt at that time for, a, for um, adultery was a thousand lashes, uh, which very few people would have lived through. Um, but uh, there's no mention of that here. And um, the penalty for rape was actually higher. Um, and when you throw in the fact that it's a slave, um, it's very unlikely that if Potiphar really believed his wife's story, he would have uh, let Joseph off with prison. But that's what he does. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. So, the prosperity gospel tells us that God is a vending machine, that we put our nickels in, whether it's a nickel of faith or whether it's a nickel of good deeds or whether it's a nickel of uh, moral behavior, whatever it is, that we put that in and then God is a machine and out the other side is going to come some kind of a blessing and ideally a much bigger blessing. So we put a nickel in and we get a dollar out. We put in, we put in a penny, we get uh, $10, whatever it is. We get a whole lot more blessing out. But that's not what Joseph sees. Joseph does the right thing over and over and over again. And there's no blessing coming out the other side. Um, even what blessing there is doesn't go to him because he's a, slave. he's a slave. It goes to his master. The prosperity gospel is not Joseph's story. But the true gospel is in this story. Because we see in verse 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer, much like Potiphar, puts him in charge of things. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
The chief, the chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because Joseph, the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So the true gospel, I think, first begins to come out in this story in verse 12. To see this, I think if we just hear the Lord's with him, we think, well, yeah, the Lord's with him, but he's in a worse trouble than he was before, right? He started out as a slave and the Lord is with him. Now he's in prison and the Lord's with him. I don't know if I like this, the, the pattern here. I'm not sure I want the Lord with me. But go back to verse 12 and see what happens there. That's where Joseph, uh, the, the Pharaoh's wife says, lie with him, and he leaves his garment in his hand. Now, if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear the story of chapter 37, but there's another famous jo- uh, garment in Joseph's life. It's the robe, the robe of many colors, the technicolor dream coat, the robe with long sleeves, however your translation puts it. Um, Joseph has this famous robe that his father gave him to indicate favor and, 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 uh, a privilege in the household that he was, he had this robe and his father gave it to him as a prize, but it drove his brothers crazy. And so his brothers sold him into slavery and they took the robe back to dad and said, Joseph's dead. So he's lost, he's lost all the privileges that come with being a favored son. And now he's a slave. And now as a slave, he loses this next garment. And I think what that means is he's lost everything. He's lost even the position of being a favored slave. Joseph has hit rock bottom. Joseph has nothing. And it is when he has nothing, when Joseph has absolutely nothing, when he's in prison, when he's at rock bottom, then we read, but the Lord was with Joseph. He still has God. When everything else has been taken from him, Joseph has God. And that is the true gospel. The true gospel is that when you have nothing, you still have God. God is still in your life. The true gospel is caught in the name Emmanuel. You know this name for Jesus. One of the many titles of Jesus is Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means literally God with us. See, God could have chosen. God God is God. God gets to decide what to do. And he could have chosen, I'm going to be a vending machine God. I'm going to be the kind of God, if you put in faith, if you put in, if you put in good behavior, if you put in morality, then I will shower down blessings on you from heaven. God could have chosen to be that kind of God, but instead God chose to be God with us. God chose to be a God who comes alongside us in our troubles and says, I'm with you. And I know how this story turns out. I want you to trust me. See, Joseph hasn't read chapters 40 through 45 yet, and neither have we. We don't know how the story turns out. We don't know how the story turns out in our own lives. When our boss gives us extra responsibility without extra reward, and we're tempted to do something that that would compromise us morally, God comes alongside us and says, I'm with you. I will always be with you. I know how this story comes out, and I want you to trust me. When our relationships aren't what we wish, when our spouse is distant and only comes home for meals, and we're thinking, you know, maybe I should just find somebody who can love me differently. God comes alongside us and says, I know how this story turns out. I want you to trust me. 
I'll be with you. When our parents don't understand what we're going through, God comes alongside us and says, I know how the story turns out. Trust me. When our kids are running wild and they won't tell us what the problem is, God comes alongside us and says, I know how this story turns out. I want you to trust me. When some cell in our body goes haywire and gives us cancer, God comes alongside us and says, I know how this story turns out. I want you to trust me. When our finances are a mess, God comes alongside and says, I know how the story turns out. I want you to trust me. God says one other thing. He says, I'm going to be at work in your life. And I'm going to bring blessing not just to you, but to the people around you. The way that Joseph brought a blessing to the household of Potiphar and then to the chief jailer. God says, I will be at work in your life, but not just in your life, but I will be working through you in the world around you. I'll be alongside you. I know how the story turns out. Trust me. Let's trust God. Heavenly Father, the prosperity gospel is a seductive lie. It tells us that you are waiting with your arms crossed, and if we jump through the right hoop, if we put the right nickel in the box, then and only then will you bless us. But the true gospel is that you already love us. And nothing we do or fail to do can change that. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us faith. Give us the faith to trust you, to wait for your timing, so that we can see how our story turns out. And we pray you'd give us patience while you work in us and through us so we can be blessings to the people around us. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.